Welcome to the Italian Football Podcast with John Solano, Carlo Garganese and Nima Tuvali. Hello everybody, welcome back. It's another episode of the Italian Football Podcast. Very excited as the first match day of the Serie A is in the books. Again, a reminder, before we get into everything, you can become a patron over at Patreon by going to www.patreon.com slash T-I-F-P. And as another reminder, all of our episodes for the month of September will be free. And then starting next month, you will have to become a Patreon, or I'm sorry, you will have to become a patron to access all of the episodes of the Italian Football Podcast. But we will be doing one episode per month free. So again, patreon.com slash T-I-F-P. All right, Nima, Carlo, how are you two doing? Doing great. Juventus had a, had a fantastic win in their first game uh, under Pirlo. It couldn't have gone any better. So, yeah, I'm happy today. And we know Nima's excited because blast from the past, uh, 2015, Arturo <laughs> Vidal is on his way. He has arrived. Antonio Conte, Nima, is reloading again, as we said last time. A FIFA save from 2015, save. yeah. Yeah, this is great. So I know mm. you're very excited. Yeah, no, he's, I mean, I'm, I'm good. But um, for me, the exciting thing was, uh, you know, obviously being Swedish is the Kulusevsky uh, debut yesterday. It was fantastic to watch. It was it was really interesting to watch all the Swedish media do the, you know, everyone who, who remembers when Zlatan did the same thing for some 16 years ago. It was a very sentimental evening for a lot of us. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into it. Let's jump into Juve. We'll get to Napoli and we'll get to Fiorentina. All right. Here we go. Well, it was a dream debut for Pirlo. You had a very poor Sampdoria side, to be fair. Claudio Ranieri was pretty clear about that in the post-match. But Carlo, let's just get right into what you thought about the debut of Pirlo as the manager of Juventus. So what did you think? What stood out to you? Well, there are a number of things. I mean... Tactically, I think was that Juventus. I mean, Pirlo went back to a three-five-two formation, um, but in an offensive phase, it was virtually a three-two-five, um, and you know it was very, very progressive football, very attacking, um, pressing high up the pitch, getting lots of men into the box, lots of intensity, lots of energy. All the things that we didn't see under under Maurizio Sarri last season, where, where Juventus kind of plodded through matches and there was no real excitement, and it was very very encouraging. I mean, we shouldn't go overboard. You know, this Sampdoria team—it's not a good team. They had no new summer signings in the team, um, but on a tactical level, it was very 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 promising for for, for Juventus and Pirlo, um, especially as you know there were so many question marks going into the game about Pirlo, someone that's you know, had no coaching experience, um, hadn't even got his coaching badges when he when he took over at Juventus. Um, you know, Juventus looked a very aging, declining team last season. Um, and, you know, all that, he brought a lot of enthusiasm. Um, and, yeah, Nima mentioned Kulisevsky, fantastic debut, scored a, scored a beautiful goal. Um, Weston McKenney, who um, I know someone we're going to talk about later in the show, he, he, he was fantastic again in, in midfield very good um really really impressive um won loads of balls and and, and was great 
Aaron Ramsey had probably his best ever game in, in a Juventus shirt. It was, you know, it, Juventus were playing really, really impressive modern football. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how they get on uh, against Roma um, in the next game and then against Napoli, because then, I think then we can really see for sure whether Pirlo's onto something. Okay, now Pirlo did address this in the post-match, and I'm curious to hear from both of you. Nima, let's start with you. He was asked about once uh, Dybala comes back, how you, how you adapt the team to him returning. Because you just mentioned Kulisevsky. There is no doubting his ability, his class, his skill, scores on his debut. Ronaldo being Ronaldo, that's obvious. So very curious to hear from both of you. How, how do you... What does this team look like when Dybala comes back? Because it is really, you're the victim of having too many good options. Well, you see, I don't, I don't see that as an issue because I think it's quite obvious to me that, um, you know, I, as I said last week as well, I'm not, I, I, I don't, I didn't have that many doubts about Andrea Pirlo turning out to be a good tactician or under, or, 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 or a person who understands the game. I think his career is a testament to understanding the game. Um, so for me, based on yesterday, which is kind of all we've got to go on, is he's he's kind of he's, he strikes me as a person who has very clear ideas how he wants to attack, but the way to get there he's very pragmatic about. So he, where where Allegri was a complete pragmatic coach, and Maurizio Sarri and Antonio Conte are complete ideologues, Andrea Pirlo is a pragmatic ideologue. Um, and he, the way the way he will form form this team will depend entirely on who they're playing, and what needs to be done to be able to do certain things, such as having those five players swarm the penalty area when when Juventus have the ball, like they did yesterday. Um, Kulusevski was played out of position yesterday, um, but with DiBala coming in, I, th- I I absolutely have no problem seeing this team play a four three three, a four two three one. Or like yesterday, a three four one two. No problem seeing that. I think that will. I think that is what we will see. Uh, Pirlo's uh, Juve do. It will. It will be very very fluid. It will have clear ideas and identity on how to play. But the formation that will be very very fluid. Do you agree with that, Carlo? I think it's going to be very interesting to to see what happens. Not only when Dybala comes back, but also if Juventus sign this traditional old fashioned number nine that they've yes. been trying to sign obviously Jeco or Suarez was the main target we're gonna to have to wait and see Suarez is definitely gonna not going to arrive anymore Alvaro Morata's now come back into the mix although he's not a number nine either so if Juventus bring in uh, uh, more of a uh, let's say a, a goal scoring striker then um, you know what does Pirlo do with with that player as well um, I think like like uh, Nima said Pirlo has a vision of the game which is definitely based on the, the, the match against Sampdoria is a is a modern vision of football in in which the formation doesn't really matter it's more about space um on the pitch the the the, the, the spaces that the players occupy on the pitch is, is really what matters and in that sense as Nima said Kulusevski played out of position yesterday um in a 3-5-2 played you know, as a central forward, which he isn't. Um, the same can be said of Ronaldo. Ronaldo, it's been mm. well documented, hates playing as a central forward. He wants to play from the left. Um, Ronaldo played fantastically, missed a lot of chances, but, you know, he could have scored six or seven goals um, against Samp and he looked really dangerous and he seemed to enjoy the role. And that is because 
yes, on paper, he started as a centre forward, but actually he was coming mainly from the left, which he likes to do. Um, so it was all about, again, all about the space. Ra- Aaron Ramsey, another example, he played basically in the hole, mm. which again is a position Aaron Ramsey hates playing. He's been very, very vocal about it. He wants to play in a three-man centre midfield. He doesn't want to play basically as a number 10, which he kind of was um, against Samp. So again, if Pirlo does change the, the formation to, to to bring in a Dybala, I guess it it probably doesn't matter if, Pirlo keeps that same vision about space, about intensity. Um, so yeah, it's very, going to be very, very interesting to see what what happens as these as more players become available. I think we should just give a shout out to left back Gianluca Frabotta, who was fantastic. You stole I mean, the words out of my mouth. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, he was. No, I, was I agree. Blown away. I agree because when that team sheet came out, what was the first thing everybody turned to? It was the left back role. No. Yeah, it was wow. I think everyone Googled him. Googled him. Come on. Let's <laughs> Hold on real quick, though. In all seriousness, because I, I was going to bring this up. What is... Uh, did, did, did Luca Pellegrini, did, did he insult Paratici? Did he bump into uh, Nedved's car at the training center? What are they thinking? I cannot believe that they are going to allow him to go to Genoa. And meanwhile, the other option is De Chilio with Alexandro Al. Come on. What... Can we all agree on that? It's no? weird. It's very it's weird. It's very weird. It's very weird. And you know I like Pellegrini. I thought, I thought it was excellent in, uh, in Cagliari last season. And I think we, if he goes to Genoa, the Genoa are, are very strengthened by that because just watching them yesterday, the way they played. Um, oh, they look great. They looked awesome. And I think Mattia Destro is going to be this season's uh Ciccio Caputo. You know what I mean? We have every season we have this Italian player who's who scores a lot of goals and and, and overperforms a little bit. And, and Caputo was last season. I think this season's Caputo is or you know, this season's it, it is without a doubt Mattia Destro. That's that's my hunch. Um you don't like Destro? <laughs> I, come on. I you know, this is a guy I've no. I mean, I, I do like him a lot, especially as a person. I've <laughs> met him quite a few times he's a lovely lovely guy yeah it's just oh but man, he looked that good roma I mean, move, that move to roma was like the best and the worst thing that ever mm. happened to him yeah um he had that one season 2013 2014 he does great and then ever since then he falls off a cliff but uh, would it surprise me no because there's absolutely unequivocally a player in there so yeah i, I to a certain and backed degree, by Goran Pandev as well, who looked amazing in Zapacosta. I mean, no, Genoa, Genoa. The Benjamin good. Button of Serie A. Yeah. That guy will never die. Love Pandevino. And Piazza Love as Pandevino. Well. Don't forget yeah. Marco Piazza coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah, he is a player. He, there is a great player in there. Just and Milan Badeli as well. No, they've got good players now. They really yeah, do. Yeah, I agree. Hey, real quick though, we have to talk about this hand, this handed ball rule. Nima, I know this is your, this is like the bane <sighs> of your existence. Yes. <laughs> so, of course, first match day in the Serie A, of course, we cannot get through a single match day without some sort of controversy. So, uh, go ahead, the floor is yours. No, I mean, the, the, I, I cannot stand Nicola Rizzoli. I couldn't stand him when he was a referee because I thought he was incompetent. And so naturally they made him the chief referee designator and the person to run the Italian Refereeing Association <laughs> because that's what you do. I mean, just listen to the interview he gave two days ago to Gazzetta dello Sport. It just, this, this is, I'm not making these, this up. This is, these are actual quotes. We will no longer see goals disallowed like Zlatan Ibrahimovic in Florence. The rules have changed, so now immediacy does matter. An example would be Jordan Verutu in Roma Sampdoria, as that would still be disallowed because there's no gap between the Carlos Perez handball and his shot. Ibras would be allowed. 
Some penalties were too soft. There's contact and then there's contact. Above all, in a contact sport like football, I would, for example, not want to see a penalty given again for Martin Leroux's handballing Juventus Atalanta. It was too soft. There are situations that are to be evaluated on the pitch as part of a match scenario, but we can't take away the instinct of a defender's movements. If the arm could not be retracted, it cannot be punishable with a penalty. The objective is allowing defenders to play football without having their arms clamped to their side like penguins. I hope there will be fewer penalties this season so that we interpret contact more accurately. At the same time, I hope players realize that not every contact equals a penalty. If I were to take an actual, if I were to take the, the what is wrong with Italy into one human being and one, one, one statement, it would be that. Dear Rizzoli, here's a crazy idea. What about, stay with me here, what about whenever it is a penalty, it is a penalty regardless of how many they are. And when it's not a penalty, we don't give it regardless of how many should have been given or should not have been given. What is wrong with you? Why are you making this so damn hard? If I mean, the rules, it, when you make rule changes such as the handball rule, it takes time to adapt to it. Sure, there were irregularities and or, or inconsistencies last season, but this pendulum swinging of everything is a penalty to now nothing is a penalty is so quintessentially Italian football and so incredibly stupid. And and I don't understand because already now against Sampdoria Juve we have a we have a situation that would have been a penalty next season. You know what's going to happen. A couple of a couple of days, a couple of rounds into the Serie A, no penalties will be given. Presidents will be having meltdowns. Then they'll change the rules again, and then middle of the season they'll they'll change the the how how to judge these situations. And again, you have the inconsistencies, and again the whole discussion is 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 up and running again. It's I, I'm I'm astounded at the level of inconsistency. Was it here. a penalty though? Which one? Well, the Bonucci one. Yes, he's. I, I mean, if you look was, at the rules, yeah, if you look at the rules, it says if the, what, what should matter. The rules say make your body unnaturally larger, and 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 you know there are mitigating factors to that as well, but you know as such as distance and that. But to me, that that that's a penalty. If that's not a penalty, then one when when is it a penalty? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is what I mean. And again, with the inconsistencies, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that Juve have paid off the refs or anything like that. It's, it's No, let's be serious here. No, I'm saying that the the the, the, the person in charge of this is incompetent and, and is as clear as mud when he speaks to the media and to the referees. And therefore, you have this mess. And add that to the already inco- already incompetence of someone like Rosario Abisso, and you have a perfect storm brewing. That's my point. There's a crisis regarding the handball rule in in all leagues. Not not trying to defend mm. Ritzley. Yeah, we've yeah. seen we've seen chaos. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely we've seen right. Chaos in the Premier League this this week last weekend um, as well with regards to with regards to the handball rule. Um, with the with the Benucci incident specifically, I mean, I'm I've struggled. I've been trying to find more than one angle um, on on the incident, and I've struggled to find it. Um, it always looks worse in in slow mo. I, I will definitely say that the slow mo does look damning. Um, but you know, there's the distance. There's I mean, my view of the handball rule is simple that that um, that it need you need common sense from referees. It's as simple as that. And the problem is that the most referees lack common sense because a lot of them have never really played the game. I'm not saying a referee has to have played the game, um, but it's a difficult one. I don't think there's any clear answer to the handball rule anywhere. 
Yeah, I don't think I, the problem is it's it, it's so subjective now. That that's the problem with all of that's this with these what new I mean. rules. It, Thank it's not, you. It has gone from an objective rule to completely subjective. But but it's IFAB. It's IFAB's fault. The way they've worded that. The way they worded that. It's it's horrible because it's contradictory in the rule you itself. You know what the problem is? The problem is that they ha- the IFAB and 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 the rule makers in the sport they have to they have to justify their own existence. Yes. And their own <laughs> and their own funding by changing the rules all the time. And this is what drives me crazy because I would say that in the 1990s you know we'd almost reached the point where the rules in football were, were perfect but the ifab have to you know and and they have to keep changing the rules all the time to justify their existence and that's why we see ridiculous new offside rules new handball rules new penalty rules you know we see all these changes being made and occasionally yes you do need the odd change here and there and there have been some good rule changes you know the back pass rule for example mm. if we're going back a long long time where you know the, the teams used to be able to um, pass back to their own goalkeeper who could pick it up. You know, changing it to, to ban that, that was a great rule change. Mm, There's been a lot of rule changes. I mean, I would go far to say the passive offside rule where, you know, which, you know, has allowed strikers to, to really take advantage of that where you're not offside in the first phase and then you're you're onside, in a, you know, for the second second phase, um, you know, has, has really damaged football as well. Agreed. And I think the handball rule is just chaotic now. Yeah, I think th- this whole thing is a mess. It's an absolute mess. And again, the subjectivity around it, it just it just makes it a complete nightmare. Look, it- it's I awful. Think, I just think the fact that the, 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 some of the changes are good. Like if, you're, if your arm is above elbow, that's, then, then, that's un, then that's automatically making your body uh, bigger and unnatural and that, that, that's not allowed. Or when a player is going to tackle and he uses his arm to shield, you know, to balance his body on the ground, that's not a penalty. Like, oh, th- those are common sense things. I can well, see, understand. See, I thought the Bonucci that. one was common sense. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was abundantly obvious. Yeah, no, that was. But I mean, I mean, the rule changes as a whole that they've imposed, I, th- I think some of those are good. But this, th- that, but this, this now where Rizzoli comes out and says, well, I'm not happy with the number of, of, of penalties what you, you it's not like there's a number it's not like we're doing they're not handing out sweets where there's a certain number of sweets to hand out and we can't hand out too many no that's not how it works if it's a penalty it's a penalty pull stop until the, the players learn not to do those those fouls i mean i don't i don't get this notion of that there, there's a certain amount of penalties we have to give and if we go more than that then you know that's bad what no apply the rules consistently it, this this really shouldn't be that hard and they make it that hard all right we no more penalty talk okay no uh, please we're done okay now let's get into napoli and then we'll talk a bit about fiorentina and federico chiesa so napoli we see this sort of new look napoli it's the first preseason where they have gattuso to work with him what did we think they looked good in my opinion they beat parma two to zero for me i i thought napoli did look good but i thought that that match seemed more of an indictment on parma because i would not be surprised mm. if we see them lagging near the very bottom Absolutely. of the table because I, they were my team who i predicted to have the biggest fall off of anybody they they looked so bad they could have played that match for a hundred and fifty thousand more minutes and i don't know if parma would have scored a goal. They looked so bad. So disjointed. Yeah, so terribly d- disjointed, especially the attack. Just awful. God. Oh, they're, they're terrible. But uh, Napoli were good, though. Na- Napoli were Napoli good. Napoli were it's... good, but it, it, it wasn't, I, I wasn't able to tell if that was more of a, a good Napoli or a really bad Parma. I think it was a bit of both. Yeah, mm. yeah, probably. I, think, probably. I mean, Parma, Parma didn't threaten at all. Oh, they were um, terrible. They didn't, they didn't create a single chance in the whole game. 
Um, but I was very impressed with Napoli. They, I mean, they dominated the whole game possession-wise and, and territorially. Um, they didn't create too much until until Victor Ossiman come on. Um, as soon as he come on, he he really made a difference in the final third. He he, I mean, it's only one game, but he he looked he looked really really good. Um, he 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 added pace and he's so quick. And uh, there was one moment where he just he he made up about five meters on a, on a defender. Um, it, it was incredible. Um, he showed some really nice touches, some good link up play with Insignia. One moment where Insignia hit the post. Um, you know, a box threat, and and you can tell that that Ossiman is really highly rated in Napoli because you can see how how all the players behave around him and and the way that they were talking about him, you know, after the game as well. That that's always a clear sign. We saw this, that was the same with Kulusevski. All the Juventus uh, players have been raving about Kulusevski in training, and the Napoli players have been doing the same with Ossiman. So you can tell that that he's um you know he's a, he's a real talent. And um, and Gattuso again, I think Gattuso's shown himself to be more than just a motivator. For he's sure, a, he's a, he's a tactician as well because for he, sure. he, switched, he switched from a four three three, which he started the game in. And then when Ossiman came on, he switched to a four two three one for the last thirty minutes, and that's a formation he's been testing in pre season. Um, so Gattuso Gattuso's shown himself a lot, and, and I think as we said on the show in, in our preview show last week, I think we all agreed that that Napoli. Um, Napoli are a dangerous team this season. There's lots of quality in the squad. Um, and for me, um, assuming that they keep Koulibaly and time's running out for City to, to do that deal, um, I think that they're at the very least that they're, they're Champions League qualifiers and, and who knows, even potential challengers for the Scudetto. I'm not saying they'll win it. For me, for me, they're without a doubt a challenger to the Scudetto. I think I look at that squad and I look at the way they want to play and I see two, three options, good options in every position. And I'm glad you brought the defence up because I thought Manolas and Koulibaly for the first time since... Manolas since, joined. Yeah, I thought they, they looked since Manolas good. moved to Napoli. Yeah. So they looked awesome they looked they understood each other they looked like a cohesive unit they 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 read each other they they complemented each other really really well and again you got to give it to napoli's ability to scout players this demme and i mean zielinski demme these players and lobotka even no one knew who these these players were really and and again they they look so good now i'm i'm really 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 impressed by this uh, Napoli team and I, and as I said I, I I they are for me right now I mean again I don't like to make predictions until the Mercato closes but to me they are the number one challenger right now to Juventus for the Scudetto and, and first half versus second half as you alluded to Carlo it was like two different teams so it, you know it'd be difficult for me to envision Gattuso continuing with that 4-3-3 but my my my, my biggest question is sort of something you just touched on Nima if they do keep that 4-2-3-1 I just don't know if mm. they have the two midfielders that fit that role other than Ruiz because Zielinski, he'd, come on, that's not him. That's not his role. Mm. I, I think they would have to bring in another name. They, they've been linked to Roma's Veretu. I don't think Roma will that sell would him. Yeah, would, that, that, would that, that, that would be unfair. Yeah, that would be unbelievable. The, the way those two would complement each other would be just incredible. So, you, I, the, Congratulations on giving them the Scudetto then because Veretu would be fantastic. In he, would fit, he would fit right in. He would fit right in. All right, I want to get to another subject now with Fiorentina, which, Carlo, I know this one is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> so, okay, Fiorentina, they decide for some reason or another to keep Pepe Iacchini. They give him a pretty talented team, and okay. So they beat Torino. Torino, Giampaolo, terrible. I, I thought they were absolutely awful. 
Simone Zaza, how this guy is still a professional footballer is beyond me. I'm 39, fat, and have two right feet. And <laughs> the fact that he gets paid to play in the Serie A gives me hope that I can play in the Serie A. That's it's, 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 oh, he, he's terrible. Giampaolo. I, I just, he does not have the pieces of that. Better hair as well, his football. Yes, yeah. Much <laughs> well, <better>. you know. <laughs> but seriously, I have so, hair. <laughs> okay, so Yakini. He puts Chiesa in this 3-5-2. He puts him at wing back. Now, in fairness, I thought Chiesa did relatively well. I didn't think he was that bad. In fact, I, I'd say he attacked a space incredibly well. I think nearly everybody was watching this because it was the first match of the round. Uh, it was the debut match of the City out of the season. So, first off, I, I think before we even get into this conversation, we can all agree that Bebe Iacchini... To, the decision to keep him by Rocco Comiso is probably the first very bad decision that he has Agreed. made since arriving. I, for the life of me, I can't understand it because there are a number of managers available, looking at you, Spalletti, who could easily yes. transform that team into, what do we think they are? Top seven? Maybe top eight? Top seven without a doubt. Okay, without top seven. Doubt. I think if you bring in a, a, a top, top manager like Luciano Spalletti, hmm. I think he transforms them into a team who does not have the financial backing or the financial power of Inter, Milan, Juve, Napoli, Roma, but he can have them certainly punching above their weight, close to their level. Yakini is one of those guys. We know who he is. He looks like an absolute fool with a hat. It's like, okay, Mm. we're over this thing now. So, Carlo, you you, you got Chiesa, in my opinion, albeit he had a good match, being wasted as a wingback, and it just seems like... He's going to be one of those guys that he's so highly rated for so long, and then he just stays at Fiorentina, and he becomes so stagnant. That's what I fear for him. Perfect word. Perfect word. Stagnant. Let's hear what you have to say about this, because I know you have very strong feelings about Chiesa being played as a wingback. Very strong. Yeah, I mean, I, I see Chiesa as as an as a unbelievable talent. Um, I think he's he's got every single attribute there to, to become a top player. I mean, he's both footed. He's lightning quick. He can he can dribble past players. Um, you know, he he he's got a great shot. Um, he's got vision. He you know he can he can cross. He's he's got creativity. He's he, you know there's he's got everything there. Um, obviously, there's weaknesses in his game. He's inconsistent. Um, he's his final ball is is not always the best. He's he has his head down sometimes. Um, but you know he's 22 years old, and 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 that's natural. You're going to be inconsistent, and you're going to be unpolished um, at, at 22 years old. Um, the, and he's the, never I, had a decent coach. Let's be honest. Well, that's I the mean, point. He, that's what I was coming. That's exactly what I was coming to. The the problem is, is that with young, any young players, it doesn't matter how good they are and how talented they are, they need to be managed well. And Chiesa's been mismanaged so bad, so badly by by Fiorentina in the last last couple of years. Um, you know, he's like Nima said there, he hasn't had hasn't had a top coach. He's been shifted around from position to position. And, you know, recently this year, we've seen him playing at right wing back, which is just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's like playing Kylian Mbappe uh, at right As wing back. You know, mm. you, you've got such a talent there and you're, you're putting him in a position where, you know, he's he, you're limiting his ability to, 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 to show what he's got. And like you said, um, John, He's becoming stagnant, and I think he stagnated over the last year, year and a half, because of how badly um, managed he's been. Uh, occasionally, yes, he will show his quality, like he did for the Fiorentina goal. He he mm. he, he he destroyed Ansaldi um, uh, in a one on one, and then put the ball in for Castrovilli to score. 
So, so yeah, for me, if Iacchini is going to stay as the coach of Fiorentina, I would like to see, I'm sorry, Fiorentina fans, I would like to see Chiesa leave because he's such a good talent and it, it'll be such a shame if, he, if he, his career gets wasted because of bad management. And Nima, I, I want to hear from you, Nima, though, because the thing is, Chiesa has made it clear he does not want to leave the Serie A. Mm. So obviously, you take your list of suitors, you whittle it down a little mm. more. Now, from the teams within the Serie A, you have A, who can afford him, and B, who needs him. For me, that list is maybe t- Milan. two or three teams. I, I saw Milan. Milan and Roma, and that's it. I, Napoli don't need him. Juve don't need him. Uh, Inter, they don't need him. Well, we need him, but we've got someone else there wanting to play, wanting to play a three-five-two and play wing backs instead. And and so you know, it is what it is. But uh, it's um, I think I think you, for me, you it's Milan could, and Roma. Yeah. Beyond those two, I I I can't see another fifth for no. him. I really can't. I mean, it, I mean, I think he, I think he, he, he Juve need him as well. I mean, if they were played a four-three-three as well, I, I think I think he could. But having said that, I think the best thing, objectively speaking, the best thing for Italian football and Federico Chiesa is if he goes to AC Milan. That would because there he would be he would be given space, he would be played in his pr- proper position. He'd have good players around him, um, and he'd be given so everything to to fulfill that un, that limitless potential. That's un, unlimited potential that I think he has. And I've and I've thought this and I've said this in, in in different platforms when I've been asked about him. To me, when it comes to pure talent and ability, and his potential. To me, he has a sky. There is no limit to his potential and and to, and ability. He can, he has a he, his talent alone is is Ballon d'Or winning quality. I'm not saying he's going to win the Ballon d'Or. There's a lot left and a lot left to to for him to develop and grow and and, and all that. But in terms of talent and potential alone, I see him up there. I really do. Uh, and and I think he's being wasted at Fiorentina. And I think for uh, you know objectively speaking, for Milan. I think Milan would be have would is this would be good for Milan? It would be good for Chiesa. It would be good for the national team. It would be good for the for all of Italian football if he went to Milan. It would be brilliant for everyone involved. Yeah, again, I I just have to reiterate. I, I think there's only a couple teams who a can afford him and b need him. And, and as you just said, Milan, Roma. I think those are the only two, in my opinion, that are that are fit. And I I kind of agree with you guys. I I just feel like he needs this move and. Yakini, this whole thing is just so it's so bizarre and I, I think a little bit of that is we view Chiesa as a winger and I think maybe just by way of that Yakini thinks oh okay well he could play wide let me put him at wing back which is stupid because I think he's, he's just a versatile forward he can he can play as a central forward he can play behind the striker he can play on the wing I, I think that's a benefit of having him in your team he could play anywhere 4-3-3 3-5-2 whatever it is I think that's a benefit of having Chiesa within your side. I just think Yakini and Yakini Montella. I mean, come on! I feel Get bad for Fiorentina because I think they've got a good squad, and I think they've got a squad for to play a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one. Well, which makes the decision to keep Yakini even, even more ridiculous. Exactly. And the thing is, I feel sorry for Chiesa because I and it, and it drives me crazy. I, I see so many of the so much of the culture community just hammering him. And, Every single time, within five minutes of Fiorentina playing, I see the yeah. same people on Twitter. They're just hammering him. Ah, oh, you know, Chiesa, he's overrated. He's a fraud. You know, and, <sighs> and I just, 
And I just think... And compare him know, to Orsolini. Oh, <laughs> I love well, that one. That Nothing gets me laughing as much as when people say Orsolini is better than Chiesa. It's madness. It's madness. It's like, no, okay. That, that's, uh, although, admittedly, I do like Orsolini. But I no, like him uh, too. Nowhere but, near Chiesa right thank now. Thank you. Nowhere near him. <laughs> thank you. Okay. That's, all right. We'll end it there. All right. Let, let's go into our next segment now, which is a new one that we're introducing. Okay, everyone. Welcome to this new segment that we're doing. Okay, we're going to call it Baggio of the Week. So we know everybody has their team of the week, their winners of the week, their most valuable team of the week, whatever word you may come up with. But, you know, we're being a little different. We are calling it Baggio of the Week. So whether it was a team, a manager, player, member of the club staff, whoever, we're going to get creative with this and we're going to say who we think our Baggio or winner of the week was. So, Carlo, let's start out with you. Who is your Baggio of the week? I'm going to go for Weston McKenney of Juventus because, you know, he, he joined Juventus and there was quite a lot of scepticism, to be honest. I think outside of the United States, no one was expecting too much of this guy. You know, there's been a lot said about how bad Juventus's midfield has been for the last few years. And McKenney, you know, coming from Schalke, no one was really expecting him to, to make a difference. And he's been fantastic so far. Okay, good choice. Nima, who is your Baggio of the week? It's uh, a former teammate, uh, uh, you could say, of, uh, or actually, yeah, he, a former teammate of Roberto Baggio at Brescia, Andrea Pirlo, who I think the pontification surrounding his appointment as coach of Juve uh, has been quite, quite ludicrous. Um, yes, he doesn't have coaching badges. Yes, he doesn't have any coaching uh, experience, but it's we're not talking about some guy off the street. It's Andrea Pirlo. And I read uh, he, his thesis was published and I read that and it was everything. <laughs> it was, was so Pirlo. dream. Oh, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it's Pirlo. <laughs> it's everything he was on the pitch. The guy is smart as hell. He understands the game in a way that only, you know, that he demonstrated throughout his illustrious and glorious career. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not surprised that the way that he, you know, the way he, he outclassed Sampdoria's Claudio Ranieri uh, yesterday, and and this is this this is Pirlo. This is the this is the birth of an exciting new career, Italian coaching career, which I think can go really far. Um, because Pirlo and, and he and it's he suits Juventus so damn well as well. I mean, we know he's going to coach Milan at some point. There's no doubt in my mind that he will. Um, uh, uh, probably after Juve. Um, how, depending on how long this, this adventure is, I I think he's he's a fantastic. I mean, I to me it was what uh what a debut! It wasn't just that they won; it was the brand of football they played and the way they played. It was so, like Carlos said, it was modern and it was new and it was. It, I I was I was I was really impressed by 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 the things that by, by what was on display by uh, Il Genio. Um, my Baggio of the week is trash Italian television because Massimiliano <laughs> Allegri, he was on Ballando yes. con le Stelle, Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and he made a, the, the, the dance coach made a very sort of uh, joking quip about, oh, you're coming to Roma, yes? And he just said, oh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Well, since he said that within the last like 30 hours, it has been nonstop Allegri to Roma, Allegri to Roma, and Allegri 
to Roma. So, because of Dancing with the Stars, Max Allegri, and actually, I, I can't confirm this, that um, Roma have reached out to him uh, because I, I think the owners are... Uh, Disappointed, maybe, we could say with Paolo Fonseca. Not just because, obviously, you draw to Verona, but I just think in general. I hope, hope Allegri does better with Roma than he than his dancing is. I mean, I don't know if I've never seen that. a stiffer human being on a dance floor oh, than, yeah. than that. First it off, was, <laughs> it was it funny. Was wooden. It, it was as wooden as his Juventus team in, in the, in the <laughs> last, last months of his time. There. All right, so we have our Baggio of the week, everybody. Now, for our loser section, this is what we're going to aptly call... The Ventura of the week. Carlo, this was Carlo's choice for, we had to come up with a name that everybody around <laughs> the world of Calcio despises. Somebody that nobody likes, whether you're a Juventino, uh, whether you are a Romanista, Interista, somebody that nobody likes. Well, Ventura. Does anybody like him? No. So that is what we are going to be naming our loser section of the week. And for that one this week, in my opinion, uh, there's really only one. This isn't a player or individual person. It's more of a transfer saga. And the losers of the week are Edin Dzeko and Ark Milik. This transfer thing, as we sit here at this very moment, it is um, just after 3 p.m. Italian time. We've been dealing with this for the last five days. Uh, Milik... His contract is up next summer with, with Napoli. They could lose him for free in January. So obviously they don't want to lose him for free, but Napoli are making it a bit difficult for him to go. And the reason they're making it difficult for him to go is we all know and love Napoli president <laughs> Alerio De Laurentiis for many reasons. There's a reason why this guy is one of the characters that is so loved throughout the city. Yeah. We always talk about the characters in, in the city, ah, the presidents, how, how we love the drama created by them. And this one, if you, if you were looking for something that was more Aurelio De Laurentiis, this would be like, if you, if you had a De Laurentiis bingo card, <laughs> this hits every single one of them. He is not uh, willing to let Milik go at this very moment because there are unpaid fines that the club levied against Milik last November. And this is the, the best part. Because they find him for unauthorized publicity. What was that publicity, you ask? Milik, he owns a restaurant in Poland. He's the owner of it. Nobody else. He paid money for it. He runs it. He owns it. <laughs> uh, Milik advertised, did an advertisement of himself for his restaurant that he paid for and owns. And... <laughs> De Laurentiis obviously found that in violation of his contract. I don't know what the verbiage in his contract says, word for word. But guys, we all know about the image rights in Napoli, right? We don't have, I'm sure we can go into that in greater detail at some other time. But Napoli, they're, they're sort of different in the sense that when a player joins the club, they have to sign over 100% of their image rights to the club. So Milik going and doing this uh, the, this publicity for his restaurant was obviously in violation of that. And Napoli, they want upwards of 1 million euros in damages because of that. And that is holding things up at this very moment. And because of the delays, Roma, uh, in a very 
weird, I guess, response. They asked for a discount on the player. And then there were rumors that uh, Milik did not pass his medical exams that were that were taken in Switzerland, not Austria, which is false. But those whis- those whispers sort of came about and Corriere dello Sport, Gazzetta dello Sport, they were saying, oh, Roma, they have, they have worries about Milik in his knee, which they don't. So Roma put out this very bizarre statement saying they've never commented on the physical fitness or the physical health of a player they never have they never will and this just isn't true this is a player they respect so they didn't deny negotiations but they said oh we'll never leak anything out about a player's health so it's a very bizarre situation Milik is a loser because he has no new team and he may be wasted for the entire season on the bench meanwhile Edin Dzeko Cannot go to Juve until Milik arrives at Roma. This guy, he has talked with Bonucci. They've been trading text back and forth for the last two to three weeks. Dzeko essentially feels like a player of, of Juve. He's spoken to Pirlo a number of times. I've spoken with his agent a number of times. They thought it was going to be done by this Saturday. But this nonsense with Napoli and Milik is holding everything up. So guess who, lo- guess who loses in all of this? Everybody loses. Napoli would lose because they could potentially lose Milik for free. Roma lose because they either A, get Milik very much uh, delayed at a later point than they initially thought. And then Dzeko loses because he potentially loses out on moving to Juve. All right, so we got our winners. We have our losers. We have our Baggio of the week. We have our Ventura of the week. Now, though, we are going to play a small segment from our upcoming interview episode this Thursday with former Roma executive, former Bologna executive, former Venezia president, Joe Tacopina, who is currently engaged in talks to acquire Serie C side Catania. So here is a brief clip from our interview with Joe. And again, if you want to get all of the episodes starting next month in October, you go to patreon.com slash TIFP. So here is a brief clip from Joe now. Basically, it's been reported that you're, you know, you left Venezia, you sold it in February, if I'm not mistaken, and that you're in talks to acquire Catania, uh, a team that has gone through a lot of financial difficulties, but has a, a rich history. What can you say about these negotiations? I mean, first of all, can you confirm that talks are going on? And what, what is the status there? Yeah, I will confirm talks are going on. I put out a statement, you know, in, in uh, Sicily and La Sicilia and the other, the other publications down there. Um, because there was so much speculation, you know, I went down and first of all, when I, when I left Venezia after, after five years of president there and having some, some great success and some great fun and winning three trophies in total there, um, you know, it, it was really an amazing experience, but you know, I, I, I was sort of sitting back, you know, I have a law practice that keeps me very busy in, in the United States. But, you know, funny enough, I was reading in the newspaper every day. I was buying Sampdoria. I was buying Torino. I was buying <laughs> Udinese. I was buying Siena. I was buying, like, uh, Novara. I mean, things I've never even heard of. Like, you know, and then and then Catania. And I swear to you, other than one of those teams, one of the Serie A teams in there mentioned, I hadn't had any discussions with anyone about anything. But then what happens with Catania, you know, this, this Sicilians are very passionate people. My mother was born there. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I started getting calls first from Salvo Arena, my lawyer, who was the lawyer for me in Bologna, Rocco Camisso's lawyer um, in, 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 in Fiorentina. And, you know, he called me. He's from Catania. He said, you're buying Catania? I said, why don't you call me? I said, Salvo, 
because you were in the newspaper, you think that's true? I said, of course, <laughs> but I, it's uh, I, I have no idea what they're talking about. I, I, you know, honestly, I haven't even thought of Catania. Where are they? What what they are? I didn't even know where they were. You know, and and then he's like, no, you understand, it's a great project with great potential. Then I got a call from another individual um, who who Pepe Cusmano, who's from Catania, is a friend of mine and. He works with uh, one of the biggest sports agencies, player agents in, in, in the in the country, um, in Europe, quite frankly, and, and told me the same thing. And then, you know, I got a very touching email from an employee of Catania, um, one of the managers there, who really poured his heart out to me and said, we would love to have you here. You could do so much with this project. You could be our savior. And the way he wrote it just got to me to the point where I said, I'm going to take a look. Then I got a call from Walter Zenga, my former coach who coached there. Both of Vincenzo Montella and Fabio Cannavaro. Montella and Zenga obviously were coaches at the time, and they said by far and away it was the greatest experiences in their football careers. They, 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 the Catania experience was phenomenal. The quality of life, the place, the location, the training facility, obviously. Cannavaro brings his team from China to train there, okay, um, in the, uh, or brought his team from China to, to train there in, in toward the Griffo. So I said, you know what? Everyone seems to be excited about it. Let me do a little research. I started looking at it. I was blown away by what I saw. All right. That was Joe Tacopina. Again, if you want the full episode, that will be out on Thursday. And if you want to get all of the interview episodes, go to patreon.com slash TIFP. All right, guys, let's get into our user questions. Let's start with you, Nima. Stefania Gallo on Patreon asks, which ink dead midfielder do you think drops out of the team with the arrival of Arturo Vidal? Oh, that's easy. Christian Eriksen, because we know that Roberto Gagliardini will never, will always feature because that's one of the hangups Antonio Conte has right now. So Gagliardini will always play. Uh, and then we'll have to, we'll be treated to either Barella or Vidal uh, next to him and Sensi when he's fit, those three games a season he is fit, uh, or Marcelo Brozovic. So, yeah, Christian Eriksen has a has a has a has an entire has a season to look forward to sitting on the bench in in the freezer because Antonio Conte doesn't doesn't seem to trust him and prefers uh, Roberto Gagliardini and people tell me that there was no room for Sandro Tonali when that having said that so yeah that, that's that's uh, Christian Eriksen won't will won't be playing unfortunately which is mad but you know it's Conte all right. This one is for me. John Piero Nero asks via email, does Jekko make Roma's greatest team of all time? This is going to be the shortest answer I probably will ever give. Yes. All right, Carlo, this one is for you. John Cadenante asks on email, would Alvaro Morata be a good signing for Juve? I'm not sure. I mean, he had an excellent first spell at the club. Uh, you know, he was crucial in, in, in Juve getting to the final of, of the Champions League. In, in 2015 but you know since then since he left Juventus that first spell he hasn't really reached those heights again at, at Madrid at Chelsea and, and now at Atletico. Uh, Pirlo likes him a lot I mean he definitely has the attributes for the, the kind of style of play that we saw in the match against Sampdoria but you know he's not a natural traditional number nine that, that, that Juve have been looking for he, he can't do what say an Edin Dzeko could do um, and I think more importantly, he's expensive. I mean, he's going to cost, you know, we're looking at probably something like a 10 million loan and then a, an option or an obligation. I mean, once you pay a 10 million loan, it's going to become a, an obligation pretty much anyway of, you know, we're looking at kind of 40 to 45 million euros. It's a lot, it's a lot of money 
um, I think. So, yeah, I mean, he probably would do quite well, but um, I'm not sure if it's if it's worth the money. All right. At Nick Cooper's Wine asks on uh, Twitter, Nima, who do you think will be two new potential stars to make Italy's Euro 2021 team next summer? I don't know. Um, it's it's difficult to to say stars who will be stars because I think Italy's got a golden generation coming uh, coming through the ranks. That are, they're, they're mostly very young players who who many people who aren't household names yet. But I think Nicolo Barella is is more and more people are waking up to what a what a tutto campista he is, as they say in Italy. Um, and I think uh, Federico Chiesa, uh, Sandro Tonali uh, are players that and 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 also Manuel Locatelli in Sassuolo. Uh, I think will are players that that are going to have breakout are are players that are going to soon become not maybe not household names all of them but but we're moving towards that direction so no Italy, Italy has a fantastic young generation a golden generation coming through and 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 I'm and, and finally after the Graziano Pelles and Giaccherini's we're we're finally treated to some to some talent all right finally Carlo Michael Graham asks on email. What did you make of the insulting betting banners at the Shamrock Rovers versus Milan Europa League match? <laughs> Great question. Well, just to remind everyone, um, before the Europa League tie between Shamrock Rovers and Milan last week, the, 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 the betting company Paddy Power, who are infamous for their, for their publicity stunts, they, they erected banners across the stadium, poking fun at, at, at Zlatan Ibrahimovic, at Milan, and at the Italian people in general. And three of the banners were, one was, do you want to transfer Zlatan? Question mark. The square, a hiring. The square, <laughs> is, a, the square is a shopping, a nearby shopping centre. Um, a second banner said, go home to your sexy cars. And a third banner said, we put pineapple on our pizza. So, so yeah, I mean, this caused a, a big furore uh, before the game. Um, More cringe than funny, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, personally, I wasn't offended. Um, I mean, one thing I would say... Um, it's I mean, childish, it's, isn't it? It's childish, yeah. I mean, for the PC brigade, I, I can understand those that say, you know, why is it okay to stereotype against Italians, you know, when, you know, it's not acceptable, you know, for for, for other nations or, or races. And, you know, I kind of understand that to an extent. Um, I wasn't offended. Um, the only thing I would say, though, is that anyone who thinks it's acceptable to put to put pineapple on their pizza i mean they should have they should be they, they, they should, should have be their sent, buds removed they should be sent to guantanamo bay no trial no nothing imino miranda warning no three strikes nothing into prison into guantanamo you go until the end of time <laughs> i couldn't agree I mean, it reminds me of school i remember when i was at school and some of the things i used to see i mean oh my god I used to see people putting ketchup on their pizza, yeah, God. E- eating eating spaghetti with a knife and fork, and, and oh my <laughs> oh, God, oh and my mayonnaise, God. mayonnaise. This this British obsession with mayonnaise. It's <laughs> like a it's like a national sport. Let's put mayonnaise on everything. Okay, okay, en- enough of this talk. I'm starting to feel sick. Let's get into the transfer market update. Okay, and just to finish off here, the transfer market, the mercato update. In the city, uh, we're going to each get to one topic here. The first one goes to you, Carlo. Moise Keane, is he going to return to Juve? Difficult one. I mean, Juventus, Pirlo has made it clear that in addition to this traditional number nine striker that we've been talking about that, that Juventus want, you know, a Dzeko, for example, he also wants a backup striker. He wants a, 
what he calls a fourth striker. Uh, Moise Keane has been for the last few weeks the, the preferred option, and and you know because he would potentially be cheap, they they would look to get him from Everton on a loan deal with an option to buy. Whether it happens though, I'm not sure because Everton don't want to get rid of him unless it's on a permanent deal. Um, they'd want the money back that they paid for him, which was, I think, around about €30 million. Euros. I don't think Juventus would want to commit to that. Um, Keane wants to return to Juve. Um, I mean, he's actually rejected interest from Borussia Dortmund. Um, so I guess we have to wait and see what happens. Juventus' first priority, obviously, is bringing in this um, this Dzeko or Morata or who knows what's going to happen there. That's their priority. Nima, this one is for you. What's the situation at Inter regarding Darmian and Kandreva? In this, in in 2020, uh, Kandreva is a kingmaker. Um, this this weird <laughs> reality we're living in, um, because uh, Inter have to sell before they buy, and um, the you know Antonio Conte has identified that Antonio Kandreva is not going to play much. And so Inter want to cash in on him because his ex- contract expires in June 2021. So they're probably going they're looking to sell him to Sampdoria for about three four million euros. And once that's done, uh, they will they will replace him with Matteo Darmian on a four year contract. Don't ask me why, because no one knows. The final one is for me, and this is in regards to Paulo Lopez at Roma. Why is he no longer the number one choice at Roma? And to that, I would say I'm sure there's a YouTube highlight package out there of his post-lockdown performance and his <laughs> and his errors that he made throughout last season, like after December. That's why um, he even had a terrible error against Cagliari in the preseason. This guy, he, he just the mentality on him, it, it's, not, it's not an ability thing, it, it, not even remotely close. He's great with the ball at his feet. Reactions are, are okay. Um, Penalties, he's one of the worst I've ever seen on. He, he he doesn't have a chance at ever stopping a penalty shot. But still, beyond that, um, I don't think he's that bad. This is all have to do. This all has to do with mental with him. This is all in his head. He's making the silliest mistakes that even a Serie Chi goalkeeper would never make in their entire life. So it, it doesn't surprise me that Roma they they picked Antonio Mirantes to 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 go and start against Verona. I think at some point we will see Paulo Lopez back because even if Roma don't want to keep him, if they do want to get rid of him, you're not going to retain the, the 25, 28 million euros that you paid for him by having him sit on the bench. It's just a waste for everybody. So I do think we will see Paulo Lopez back at some point. Um, I just think this is a chance to for him to sort of get his mind right, get his mentality um, in the right in the right frame of mind, I guess we would say. But yeah, for me, the ability for him is there. Uh, the there, there's no doubting that we've seen it from him in a number, on a number of occasions, particularly last season, early in the season when he saved Roma on a number of occasions. So I, I think this is just uh, Paolo Fonseca saying, okay, you know what, you're you're gonna have a seat for a little bit. We're gonna allow you to get right. We'll play Mirante, but you'll get your chance again. So I, I don't think this is permanent by any means at all. All right, so that was our transfer market update. Okay, everybody, that is where we're going to end it for this episode. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Again, the episodes for the month of September will be free if you would like to become a patron over at Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash T-I-F-P. So we will be back on Thursday with that full interview 
with former Roma, Bologna, and Venezia executive Joe Tacopina. So we will leave it there for now, and until later in the week, bye-bye.